One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. Five, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, rock. Nine, ten, eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, rock. We're gonna rock around the clock tonight. But you should ride, ride, so join me home. We'll have some fun when the clock strikes one. We're gonna rock around the clock tonight. We're gonna rock, rock, rock till broad daylight. We're gonna rock, gonna rock around the clock tonight. When the clock strikes two, three, and four, if the band slows down, we'll yell. Welcome back. To the Philip K. Dick Book Club. In each episode of this podcast, I look at one of the stories by Philip K. Dick and give my thoughts and commentary on them. In this episode, we'll be looking at Beyond the Door. Beyond the Door was published in Fantastic Universe in January 1954. You can also find it in the I Can Remember It For You Wholesale, the Collected Stories of Philip K. Dick, Volume 2. Um, it's the second story in that particular collection. So this is a story about family and and monogamy, right? And I I just had someone respond to my comments on the story Cadbury the Beaver Who Lacked uh, from my blog. And he was kind of critiquing some of my association of of capitalism and the family and and he thought I was reading a bit too much into this kind of critique of the family. And he was really a bit bothered by my use of the term monogamy as something Dick was critical of. And what I, I want to say here is that just with all that Dick wrote about family and about the relationships, it, most of it's not very flattering. Most of it, most of his relationships are, are troubled. You have a lot of ex-wives that are psychopathic, sociopathic, or, or just a big problem for for men. It often comes off as very sexist. You have a lot of adulterous women in his stories. Um, but when I say that he's opposed to monogamy, I what I really mean is he somehow got a problem with this institution of, of marriage, the institutionalization of our relationships. I, you know, I don't think he was, you know, saying that, you know, for polyamory or something. I don't think it'd go that far. In fact, Dick himself was very much a serial monogamist. If you look at he was married five times, of course. So he must have believed in relationships a bit, but he was certainly frustrated with, with marriage, and particularly the middle class marriage. So I want to stand by this this critique of, of the family. And when I say this is a story about monogamy, I, I mean it's really about this institution of 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 marriage and the way it kind of played out in the 1950s in 1950s America but anyways this is a story about that we have many of the elements I just mentioned we have the adulterous wife we have an aloof husband we have uh, a very a lot of jealousy in a relationship we have a relationship bound by economic need more than anything else um, it's a very short story, but it kind of deals with all these issues. It's a fantasy story, too. There's nothing really science fiction about this. You'd have to really stretch it to, to see it as a science fiction story. It's, it's a fantasy story. It's like many of his stories about family in these early years. He uses the fantasy genre to get at it, like in Out in the Garden or um, what's the other one? Withered Apples is a really great one on the same theme. So I kind of put these all together as a group of his works on on the family. 
And he really seemed to not like this idea of kind of this institutionalized or commercialized or kind of a, a marriage for kind of mutual benefit. He thought the middle class family was full of this stuff. So he, he did want to have relationships based on more meaning and feeling. Right. And the fact that these characters in these stories I mentioned find love in non-animate things, in animals, in trees. I mean, really, if we take these three stories uh, in Out in the Garden, it's an animal that the woman loves more than her husband. And Human Is, let's take four stories. And Human Is, it's an alien force that the woman falls in love with instead of her husband. And Beyond the Door, it's a clock which proves more faithful and honest and loving than her husband. And in Of Withered Apples, it, it's a tree that becomes the, the home, home wrecker. So that, that's kind of it's, it's an interesting set of stories anyways. All right, well, let's get into this. Um, obviously, I've already said it's, a, it's about adultery, and, and the adulterer is a, is a married woman and a cuckoo clock. But Okay, Larry, our protagonist, brings home a German-made cuckoo clock. He purchased it wholesale, and he brought it as a gift for his wife, Doris. Doris is delighted by the gift, but she's upset that Larry ruined the moment by pointing out that he got it wholesale. Right? So right in the way, this you have a nice gesture, but money is disrupting this relationship, right? The, the, the cost of it. That somehow he's more proud of the fact that he got it wholesale than that he wanted to buy her a nice gift, right? So you almost get, if someone were to say this to you, like, here's a gift for you, I got it cheap at a at garage sale or something, then you might wonder, are you more proud of the deal you got than you, and if not for the deal, you wouldn't have got it for me, right? But Doris begins to wonder about the cuckoo clock in the cuckoo bird in the clock. Does he sleep before coming out? She's just brains. She's just having an imagination here. She's just kind of fantasizing. Does he sleep before coming out? Does he listen to people? Is he at all alive? And over time, Larry is less than pleased with the cuckoo and his wife's increasing attachment to the clock. Doris accuses him of not treating the clock well by not fully winding it up. And this becomes a point of tension and conflict in the marriage is that Larry doesn't spend the time kind of winding it up, right? Doris has to do it. Now, a cuckoo clock of this type is a bit like a pet in that you have to put some work into it. You can't just put it on the wall, right? You have to wind it up every day or do something. And Larry's not doing his 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 effort to keep up the the labor on this. Doris takes over this important task, so she starts winding it up every day. Um, at the now, while she's doing this, she starts to notice these cuts on Larry's hands, and particularly, I think there's a cut on his thumb. This is the thing that really is shocking her. Now, later on, Larry's at work and a neighbor, Bob Chambers, visits. Bob is sexually attracted to Doris and, and would like to sleep with her. And they do flirt a bit. There's some flirtation going on. Doris shows Bob the clock and she tells Bob that her husband, Larry, doesn't like the clock at all. Um, and the reason why is because the bird comes out for her alone. The bird is only hers. She tells him she wants the clock in her room. Right. So we got this symbolism of bringing the clock into the bedroom. But she worries that this could be wrong. So there's already this kind of weird relationship between the clock that she's close, so close to it that she feels strange about bringing it into her bedroom. Well, Larry comes home early and demands that both Bob and Doris leave the house, keeping the cuckoo clock behind. She, he, you know, I think they do sleep together or they're about to when he comes in. So he immediately thinks they're having an affair and says, you guys get out of here, you're kicked out. But he wants to keep the cuckoo clock. 
Now, Larry, over time, after he kicks these two people out, after he kicks his wife out, continues his bad relationship with the cuckoo clock. But he does begin to talk to it. He talks about his jealousy over his wife's relationship with Bob. And he finally starts to demand that the cuckoo clock or the cuckoo bird comes out. Um, and he want, he says, you know, why are you silent for me? You come out for my wife, but not for me. And, and really, really, this bird, despite the top of the hour, doesn't come out. And he goes up to try to force it to come out. And then it does come out, striking him in the eye. And Larry is knocked to the ground. Sometime later, Bob, Doris, and a doctor are talking about Larry's death. The doctor thinks that th that it wasn't suicide because of the way the body's kind of laying on the ground, right? And Bob, though, thinks something else uncanny may have killed it. But there's really no real evidence. It's just dead on the ground. Now, what really happened, of course, was the cuckoo clock. Cuckoo bird came out and killed him. All right, so analysis of this little little story. Well, this story explores the tensions, anxieties, and jealousies of a suburban household. This is a theme that Dick commonly returns to. It's one of his most memorable motifs. Larry is a patriarchal, jealous husband. They lack a child, like many of his relationships, or even, <clears throat> excuse me, even in families that lack, that have children, the child is often off doing their own thing, or the parents don't interact much with the child. Right? Some people read this and think Dick doesn't like children, and I don't think so. I think Dick does rather like children, at least the concept of children. And if anything, he he, he thinks it's the old that oppress the children or control them. And go back to my story like uh, Project Earth, and I'll talk more about this with the crack in space and Dr. Futurity and others, where we deal really with this age question, the relationship between children and, and adults. But lacking this child, Larry is still a very patriarchal, jealous husband. He brings this gift to his wife, and he immediately claims as his own morally. He's upset when the cuckoo bird doesn't come out for him because he somehow claims ownership of this toy. And even when he kicks Doris out of the house, he keeps the cuckoo clock because he, quote, paid for it. He is insanely jealous of both his neighbor and friend Bob Chambers, and more uncannily, the cuckoo clock itself. The heart of his jealousy over the clock seems to emerge from the fact that it responds only to her. Even when he works to sustain the clock, winding it up, the bird doesn't respond to him. It also apparently snips at him, undermining his claim to absolute authority in the house. The cuts on his hands seem to be the bird kind of biting at him. Sexual tension runs through this story as well. Bob and Doris openly flirt while Larry's at work. The sexual proficiency and endurance of the cuckoo clock is, hardly, is, is heavily uh, signaled at. Uh, now, there's not... The direct suggestion that Larry is, is is suffering from erectile dysfunction or or just a loss of sexual vitality as he gets older, but in any case, the cuckoo bird always is ready to work when when she wants him to. So there's the regularity and the endurance of the clock is is hinted at strongly in this story. Most striking is Doris's desire to put the clock in her room apparently to consummate this barely hidden desire. And here's what she says. But I know he won't come out because he doesn't like Larry. When I'm here all alone, he comes right out for me every 15 minutes, even though he really only has to come out at the hour. He comes out for me because he wants to. We talk. I tell him things. Of course, I'd like to have him upstairs in my room, but it wouldn't be right, end quote. 
now change a few few of these words around and you have a woman justifying a, a long-term affair with a, with a lover. And clearly she is having an affair with this clock of some sorts. And then later on, she is having an affair with Bob. The cuckoo was a sexually liberating force for, um, for Doris. Now, th I guess that's what we can say about it. Um, but I want to say a little bit more about the clock itself, the symbolism and what the clock means for family life and what the clock means for just modern living. What is the impact of clock time on the family? Right now, now before clocks, you know, people judge time by the sun, right? Uh, during the seasons, times changed. Family spent time together based on the hours of the day, right? The time of day, work on the fields, all the all this stuff. It's more of a more natural cycles. With the clock and with industrialization, we were able to we have we're able to regulate our lives a lot more, right? We we set dates, we meet people at a certain times, right? We work certain hours, right? Our workday gets more regulated. It may not necessarily be longer, but it's more regulated and definite. And everything becomes much more formal, right? So the the middle class woman staying at home while her husband is gone, right? That's partially because of work, but also because of a particular type of work that's made possible by the clock, by the clock time. Now, is that really a satisfying interpretation textually? But I just want us to think about this technology because I, I think this is the first time Dick actually uses a clock in his story. And I, I don't think he would disagree with that the clock or this is one technology of many technologies that is having a disruptive effect on family life, right? And stories like some kinds of life, which I talked about a few weeks ago, you have technologies literally disrupting family life by causing these resource wars that are breaking up families through war. Now, as historians, sociologists, and philosophers have pointed out for decades, the transformation of human life due to clock time has been very profound. At its heart, humans lost their autonomy over the arrangement of their lives. Now, instead of sleeping, working, eating, having sex, traveling, etc., all according to their own schedules, they become bound to clock time. Larry then literally is bringing a clock into the household, symbolizing bringing in the mechanization of this this mechanization of time into the family life. Now, a working man, he expects it to work as designed as well, right? And when it doesn't, he gets very frustrated and upset, right? Um, right? And this is the way that technology controls us because it controls us when it works, but also when it breaks down, it controls us, right? And if you don't believe me, just what would happen if your cell phone stopped working or some other technology you relied on or your clown cup stopped working, right? It, it works two ways. On the one hand, yeah, the clock just forces us to get up every day, right? But we also become dependent on it. And if the alarm clock doesn't work, we get fired from our job or, or worse, right? Or something bad happens. We miss our doctor's appointment and we die of cancer. Now, the clock disrupts the family system in part because it develops this desire for Doris, it starts to not follow the schedule. It starts to work on its own. And it, it, what it's, it's, it's countering the mechanization, the clock time. It is a clock, of course, but it starts to do what it wants, right? Doris says it only has to come out at the top of the hour, but it comes out, you know, every 15 minutes to sort of flirt with me, right? So it's, it's itself, this technology is, is breaking the rules of its own programming to pursue romance, to pursue love. 
Right? So I think there might be a message here that maybe we should do more of that. We should be less bound to clock time and more bound by the desired desires and passions. Now, the clock certainly ruins the marriage, but not because it was working as designed, but because it did its own thing. As tyrannical as clocks are to human agency and freedom, we rely on them for our stability, our order. Right? So this clock doesn't come in and mess things up. This marriage would continue on unhappily, I'm sure, but, um, but it probably would have continued. This disordered clock also ends up literally killing the patriarch at one point and liberating this woman. So anyways, I don't quite know what to make about it. it it's, you want to sort of have the clock to be the oppressive force, but here it's almost a liberating force. But it shows you just how bound our protagonist is into having it work properly according to its programming. And, you know, it, it kind of fits what we've been saying about bureaucracy as well. So there's been a lot of great scholarship about the clock. I think Herbert Gutman's essays on work and culture in American history. You got um, The Tyranny of the Clock. Who wrote that? Oh, it's George Woodcock wrote this essay, The Tyranny of the Clock, back in the 40s. Crime Think has done some essays on work and work time. There's been some really nice stuff, especially from kind of anarchist voices who, are, you know, because the Marxists, as much as they maybe dislike capitalism, they often didn't have a problem with the clock and mechanization and kind of production, right? It's the anarchists who kind of brought in a lot of these critiques of, of industrialism in a more fundamental way and coming, you know, and part of this was this question of things like clock time and our reliance on clocks. So that's really a thing I like about the story, especially how it, it contrasts the romantic, the emotional, the passion, sexuality with, with kind of rigid functioning technology of, of the clock. Well, that does it. I, it's a really fun story. It's, you can only read it just in five, 10 minutes. It's super short, um, but you know, it's shorter to read than the time I spent talking about it. But I, I hope you enjoy it. If you have feelings about the story, if, if, you have ideas on what Dick's opinion of family is. It's something that it's sometimes hard to put together because on the one hand, he, he did marry five times and he seemed to be very, family was a very important part of his life. But in his fiction, he comes off so violently against family and against monogamy and against relationships and these institutions of marriage so often that is it just he's venting his personal life onto the page or does he got a deeper, more profound critique of the, the capitalist family? So let me know what you think. You can write me at 100pagescast at gmail.com uh, or just leave a comment below. But um, with that, I'll, I'll leave and I'll see you next time with another Phil Dick story.